Hi, everyone. I'm Bill Nordstrom, and welcome to the program today. The Critical Musts, the events that must precede the return of our Lord. Let me say something to you that uh, you may not have even heard in church this week. (laughs) God's redeemed believing assembly is approaching a Judeo-centric millennium when the Son of God will rule the world from Zion and all that's been holding back that kingdom, the kingdom to come, you know, the one we've been told to pray for, there's a day coming, soon coming, that kingdom will be released and revealed. The sealed vision opened and displayed and a Jewish Messiah right here on planet Earth, in person. It'll be the travailing, praying, Holy Spirit-filled assembly of believers That'll hasten that return. A generation who've who've responded and embraced their distinct calls as prophets, priests, intercessors, and, and travailing spiritual midwives, if you will. They'll be joined by the righteous Hebrew saints and sages of the First Testament to meet the Lord in the air and to forever be with Him. Now, so many of us think of that occasion as only a homecoming in heaven. Well, it certainly is that. But that's really only half the story. You see, the Bible is clear. Those of us who are alive on the earth at the return of the Lord, we must be changed. The Apostle Paul says so in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 52. He says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. We must put on immortality. Paul says that flesh and blood, it can't inherit the kingdom of God. A change is absolutely necessary. Now, let me ask you the question, what do we pray then? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. I submit that both locations are relevant here to what God will do in the age to come, both places. Read the numerous Hebrew scriptures that speak to life on earth when the Messiah rules and reigns in his millennial kingdom right here on earth. A co-reign, a co-reign to come, Yeshua and the saints. So many of us have only heard that When we die, we go to heaven. Well, that's certainly true. We'll be there for a while, though, until the Son of God returns with you and me and the rest of the saints in a glorified, changed state where we'll interact with Messiah and the people on the earth who've who've survived the great tribulation and are now functioning in their natural human flesh and blood bodies on the earth. An earth that looks, feels, functions in a in a much different capacity and condition than it did before. An earth that will undergo quite a remodeling effort over the next 1,000 years, the millennium, the new age to come. The Son of God rules and reigns from Jerusalem with the glorified redeemed who have returned with him. Here it is, right here. We can read it in, in Revelation chapter 20. This is, this is John, the Apostle John's vision in the book of Revelation, where John is receiving uh, the closing words from the angel who's been revealing all these wonderful future events to the Apostle that left him speechless and overtaken by the Spirit of God. 
Listen to it. Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection, over such that the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him for a thousand years. Where? Where where are they going to reign? They're going to reign on the earth, albeit in a much different state, a, a glorified state, just as the Messiah himself when he was taken up after his resurrection. We read about it in Acts chapter 1, verse 2. Listen to this. He was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Verse 9. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up in a cloud, received out of their sight. Verse 11. Listen to the angel here explaining this to the apostles. This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. (laughs) What glory! What an expectation that is! This is really going to happen in the future, in time and space. What a day that will be! So now we can see why Paul was so careful to do some explaining to those new believers at Corinth. A change was necessary to enter into God's kingdom. Now here's why that's so important. Paul ties this translation that we just talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this glorification state that's necessary. Flesh and blood can't enter the kingdom of God. A glorification is necessary. He ties this to the prophecy of Isaiah in chapter 25, verse 8. Now listen to what this Hebrew prophet said some 700 years before the birth of Messiah. Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8. He, Yeshua, he will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken, and it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God. We've waited for him, and he will save us. Now, now those are the words of a Jewish prophet. Paul ties that event in Isaiah directly to the timing of this age-ending event in 1 Corinthians. Then, when? Then shall be brought to pass the saying which is written. Written where? It's written in Isaiah chapter 25, a resurrection that is simultaneous with the post-tribulation salvation of all Israel. Let me say that again. A first resurrection of Jew and Gentile redeemed and Old Testament righteous saints. Let me say something else while I'm at it. God will not under under any circumstance, he will not leave the precious Old Testament righteous. The Isaiahs, the Daniels, the Noahs, and the people they led, yes, under the law, he'll not leave them to remain in their graves 
while he whisks the church off into heaven in some pre-tribulation rapture. God does not have different programs for different folks. He's not a program director. I worked for program directors in the broadcasting industry for 30 years. Program directors decide what we play, what we say. They decide it day to day, and they're very subject to changing their minds. God does not have a special program for the church and another one for Israel. God's program is confirmed in Isaiah 25, 1 Corinthians 15, even even in Isaiah's so-called little apocalypse. Read chapters 24 through 27 in the book of Isaiah. This is the finishing of the great mystery of God and and the beginning of the millennium. What John introduced as the marriage supper of the Lamb translated believers in Jesus and on earth, all Israel in their natural bodies, saved, redeemed in a day, at last, together, glorified, bonded as, as one new man. So how do we get from here to there in a specific moment in history? An event in the unseen realm of the heavens that will release the church on earth to become the prophet, priest, intercessor, travailing midwife it was intended to be. As a good friend says, before the church is waiting on the revelation of the Antichrist, the age is waiting on the church, and the church, the church is waiting on God to bring her to the finish line. And I might add to that, travailing prayer will be indispensable for that to happen. Let me say that a bit more boldly. It'll be the travailing, praying church that will usher in the return of Jesus. When the angels begin emptying the bowls containing the prayers of the saints in the midst of thunderings, lightning, cosmic, and ecological events, you know the kingdom of God is near? It's at the door? Check it out. Revelation chapter 8. The Spirit's gift of travailing prayer has been all but lost to the church and its role to the conclusion of this age. So many are overly focused. We're overly focused on an antichrist, a rapture, the mark of the beast, and a lot of other clearly prophesied events to take place before the Lord's coming. But but might we might might we be much more effective in this present time, and certainly in the challenging days that are coming, if we will give ourselves to corporate intercessory prayer. Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus in chapter 3, listen to this, that we may be rooted and grounded in love, firmly fixed, Paul's saying firmly fixed and established, that we may be able to comprehend, understand, and experience with all the saints what's the width, the length, the depth, and the height. The depth and the height of what? The entirety of the vast mystery of the gospel Paul spoke about earlier in the chapter. The mystery that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and partakers of the divine covenant promise with Israel— the plan of the mystery hidden in God, and that through the church, through the assembly of believers on the earth, the manifold wisdom of this mystery might now, in this time, this season, at the end of this age, that it might be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places, the principalities, the powers, who are soon coming to know that their time is short. 
This is the mystery of the gospel, the mystery that's on a divine timeline, along with the mystery of sin and iniquity, two great mysteries hidden right in plain sight that are on a collision course. They're on a collision course at the end of this age, a clash of heaven and earth and the church of Jesus Christ has a role in the final outcome. The revelation, there are two distinct travails and two distinct births. The birth of Jesus 2,000 years ago that, that came before, before the great tribulation and the coming birth of a nation, Israel, at the end of this age, all saved in a day on planet earth into the kingdom of God that will come in one day after a tribulation. Both births come with travail in strategic level intercession. You know, sadly, most of the church is is presently unaware of what's at stake in this ages-long cosmic war directed against the covenant nation. The powers of the air and the kings of the earth, they rage against the Lord and his beloved. The psalmist is prophetically clear, prophetically clear. He says, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision, in contempt, in ridicule. Then he'll speak to them. He'll speak to the nations in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king, Jesus, on Zion, in Jerusalem, on my holy hill. So we must ask the question, more now than ever, how can a church so out of touch with prophecy and the divine plan of God to restore this covenant nation, how can it even pray in prophetic agreement with God's word? How can it travail for a kingdom that must come on the earth, a kingdom that will emerge only through much tribulation? When will the church see what God sees? and communicate what God sees to a world that has a much different way of seeing. It's abundantly clear that the day of the Lord is revealed in the return of Jesus. It's inseparable from the restoration of Israel. In essence, God has secured our resurrection with theirs. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 32. This is, this is Moses prophesying. If they were wise, he said, they would understand this they would discern their latter end. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. When? When he sees that their power is gone. Or we could read it in in Paul's uh, letter to the Romans in chapter 11, verse 15. For if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead. 2,000 years ago, at the cross, Jesus turned his face and returned to his place. Read it. Hosea chapter 6. Church, there simply cannot be a birth of a coming kingdom without intercessory travail. Ask mama. She goes through it. So what is the church? Paul told young Timothy, it's the house of God. It's the house of God. It's the church of the living God. It's the pillar and ground of truth. It's the godly remnant, the heavenly offspring, listen, of the covenant nation Israel. It's the grafted in branches and the corporate prophet to the nations. The church is not some afterthought of the Godhead simply, simply because Israel didn't get it at the time. I love what the the prophet Amos says in chapter 3, verse 7. 
For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. So what's holding back the return of Christ and the end of the age? Certainly the travail of Zion in in the Great Tribulation. That final cry from the earthly Jerusalem, that's way out of the categories of much of present-day biblical scholarship. But the heavens are also waiting. They're waiting on a cry from the heavenly Zion, the church. It's intercessory travail in coordination, in coordination with the holy groanings of the Holy Spirit. My brothers and sisters, this is not some kind of ethereal gobbledygook. As if these prophetic truths are being held back, back in Scripture, mysteries that will only be understood as we get to heaven. No, no, no. If the church is the pillar and ground of truth, we can boldly say, where's the assembly of believers? Where that assembly is, where the church has been awakened to its divine mandate At the end of this age, we can say, there, there is the truth. God's raising up prophetic voices around the world, many young adults, commissioned to reveal the mysteries of God, friends of God, in whom he's pleased to confide the secrets of his heart. When the elders were appointed to aid Moses back in Numbers chapter 11, verse 29, Moses said, that all, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. If Revelation 19.10 tells us the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, the prophetic voice of today is someone who's less concerned about foretelling, but rather gripped at the heart level with the prophetic mysteries the spirit's revealing in these days the deep, eternal truths that will it'll require a consecrated spirit all the way to the end, seeing what God's seeing. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, give us spiritual eyes to see what you're seeing at this hour. Give us divine insight, banishing our spiritual nearsightedness to have a clear view of who you are, what you are doing in this hour, and what you expect of your assembly of believers in the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we're, we're entering the most intense and exciting period on the planet. You called, you called it into existence eons ago, and change is coming to it. Change is necessary. If you're going to bring your government to earth, even as it is in heaven, that change must begin to happen now. So our cry to you, Father, is, even so come, Lord Jesus. Amen and amen. Get the word out, my brothers and sisters. You can do many times more, many times over than I can do alone here. As they say, let's let's get her done. In Jesus' name. Blessings on each and every one of you. And Maranatha, I'm Bill Nordstrom. <laughs>